We begin today with the sad news we learned on Wednesday. Diego Maradona died at the age of 60 after suffering a heart attack. He's considered by some the greatest player ever and is especially beloved in his native Argentina, notably leading the country to its 1986 World Cup title. The government there declared three days of national mourning. In a public ceremony in Argentina yesterday, tens of thousands filed past his coffin to pay their respects. And it is there where we begin our coverage this week, Ahmed Freed, along with Robbie Earle. A profound mm. impact he had on millions of people, mm. not just in Argentina, but across the globe. And so yeah. let's just start there. What mm. was his impact on you, Robbie Earle? As a young kid growing up in England, he was the idol. He was probably the biggest sole individual who helped me fall in love with the game. And I can always remember, he probably was nine or ten, and he was doing a commercial. He was juggling a ball. And he, not just juggling, but with his head and with his shoulder and catching it on his back. And I was just blown away by, by how this guy, how this young kid was enjoying the football. And I'd go out in my garden and it'd be, it'd be late at night. My mum would be calling me back in and I'd still be juggling and bouncing everywhere just to practice and fall in love with the game. And I became almost transfixed with him. And so watched his career go from South America into Europe onto the World Cup stage. And that's where I think he, he showed the world what, what a great player he was. And, and when I say great... I, I, you know, it's a word that's bandied around a lot in football. He was a great, and for me, the best that there's been. I know there's Pelé and Cruyff and there's many others people will, will put in the argument, but for me, he's the best guy who's ever kicked a ball. And I suppose, in fairness, we have to say there was another side to him that was part, a darker side, that was part of his genius that you often get with players or people of that quality. And I saw it well written today that he was cursed and he was blessed. And the game in 1986, the quarterfinal for England against Argentina, is probably a great highlight of that. The curse might be the hand of God where he's used his hand to get the ball in. But I, I like to focus on the positives. And the blessed was the, the wonderful pirouette and run past five, six England players and score the goal. I mean, there's only very few people in, in the world that can do that. Diego Maradona was one of them. And when, when you looked at him, he was a small, powerful man. He had the touch of an angel in that left foot. And he was almost balletic in, in the way that he played. It, it was quite unique. And, you know, for me, the, people often say about, about greatness. I don't think greatness does him enough justice. He, he was better than great for me. And I've always said every time I see him play, he's the most beautiful footballer I ever watched. Yeah, he did things on the pitch that no one else could mm. do, but yet, as you mentioned, battled some demons that millions of people across the world could relate mm. to. And it was kind of made him the global icon that, that he was. There was certainly reaction from across the football world, including from Pele. Sad news today, I have lost a dear friend, and the world has lost a legend. There's much more to say, but for now, may God give his family strength. One day, I hope we will play soccer together in the sky. Now, his former club in Argentina, Boca Juniors, with this tweet, quite simply, eternal thanks, eternal Diego. His longtime Italian club, Napoli, with this statement, the world awaits our words, but these, there are no words to describe the pain we're going through. Now is the time to grieve Diego. And the Premier League had this reaction. We are deeply saddened to hear of the passing of footballing great Diego Maradona, an extraordinarily gifted footballer who transcended the sport. Our thoughts and sincere condolences to Diego's family, friends, and those who knew him. Diego Maradona, revered by many as the greatest to ever grace the game. He had his personal struggles, but he was and will be remembered as a national hero, a global icon, and a football legend. Diego Maradona. 
passed away Wednesday at the age of 60. As you may well have seen this weekend, there will be marks of respect throughout the Premier League over the next two days, paying tribute to Diego Maradona, who died on Wednesday at the age of 60. An absolute hero in Argentina, he led his country to World Cup glory in 1986. At club level, he'll be most remembered for his time at Napoli, who are probably going to rename their stadium in his honour. Countless managers, players and fans around the world have paid tribute to the football legend, including the Spurs manager, Jose Mourinho. Maradona and Diego. Maradona, the world knows. The world never forget. I made sure that my son knows a lot about him, even uh, being born after Diego Maradona as a player. And I know that my son will make sure that one day when he's a, a father, he will not let his kids forget who he is. It was a little bit similar with my dad with Di Stefano. I never saw Di Stefano play football. My dad made sure that I, I knew a lot about Di Stefano. Because with these generations, we have players of our generations. And Diego in my generation was what everybody knows. Then is Diego the guy? And that one I miss. And uh, I feel sorry that uh, I didn't spend more time with him. I would love. Uh, I think his family, his, his big friends, his colleagues, they are very privileged to, to spend and to know Diego well. I know him well enough. And um, in my big defeats, he would always call me. In my victories, never. Never. But uh, I will miss Diego. And I still, of course, I'm very sad, but I, I have a smile because with him, every minute I spent with him, it was to laugh. I don't think there's ever been a player um, who has gripped the final stages of a World Cup with the extraordinary ability that, that Maradona did in 86. And it's that game against England. You know, although you could certainly argue that he, he was even better in the semi-final against Belgium, and although obviously the semi-final is more important than the quarter-final, it's that game against England which is the defining moments of his life. And it is the day that Argentina decided that he wasn't a mere mortal, he was a god. Uh, it's, uh, it's a day that probably had disastrous effects on, on the rest of his life. All limits are taken off him and living the aftermath of that day, uh, I think, uh, what wasn't easy for him at all. Berto Perfumo was a captain of the Argentine national side. He played the, the World Cups in 66 and 74. And he once made a, a fascinating uh, comparison with the, the Roman emperor, Julius Caesar, he said, you know, the Roman Emperor, he, he, would, he would have someone walking behind him, reminding him that he was only immortal, whereas Argentine society has ten, tended to do the exact opposite with Maradona, remind him that, that, uh, that, that he's a god. Um, some, yeah, some were embarrassed by, by his antics, but many more were prepared to forgive him and also identify with him all the more precisely because of his frailties, precisely because he was so spontaneous. I mean, uh, he, he loved as a fan. He loved going to his little executive box in the stadium of Boca Juniors, taking off his shirt and swirling it around his, around his head as he, as, as he led the chance. Uh, he, was, he was spontaneous and emotive and authentic, and people responded to that. 
Wonderful words, great insight there from Tim Vickery. And of course, pictures of Maradona and tributes to Maradona across the front and back pages of so many newspapers around the world. Just a couple for you. Football, it is like touching the sky with your hands. A quote from Diego Maradona there on the front page of the sports section of The Independent on Thursday and the front page of the Telegraph sports section, The World Has Lost a Legend, a quote from Pele. So, Tim Howard, when you heard the news... Mm. How did it make you feel? Well, like most people around the world, I, I was saddened. Uh, we, we lost a, a god. Um, this, he was more than a legend. He was revered by so many fans and so many people. Whether you were a sports fan or not, the, the things he did on the football field were absolutely sensational. Um, when you talk about who he was to the people of Napoli, who he was to the people of Argentina, he was a god. They wanted to touch the hem of his garment. They wanted to hear him speak and see him. Um, people cry and, and, and whimper at the sight of him and, and bow at his feet. He quite literally was a God on earth. And uh, I, w I was lucky to witness some of his, his uh, of games playing. And obviously I get a chance to look back and watch video of him that, that I didn't see. But uh, we, we talk about today top players around the world. It started with, with Diego Maradona being able to take a team, put that team on his, on his back, as you saw in, in the World Cup there in Mexico versus, versus England, and literally dominate single-handedly a game or a tournament. He's, he's brilliant and sensational and would be missed. What are your memories? What will be your memories as we move forward of Diego Maradona? Uh, he was one of the reasons I fell in love with football. Uh, I'll tell a story of, I remember seeing him, he was a kid doing a commercial, doing some of the juggling that we saw there, and I was just absolutely blown away, Rebecca. I can remember going in my back garden till 9, 10 o'clock at night, smashing my dad's greenhouse, trying to keep this ball up and off my shoulder. I'd never seen anybody like that, and I've always almost been, like, transfixed with his career and watched him through his career from Argentina into Europe, where he was at Napoli, onto that World Cup stage, and... It was that 1986 quarterfinal for England that kind of sums up Maradona, that there was another side to him, Rebecca, and we have to, you know, address that. But in this game, somebody once said, he's blessed and he's cursed. And maybe some would say the curse was the, ha the, the hand of God. But the blessing is this. I mean, this is genius. This is one in a, in a generational thing. The, the way that that guy can play, he has... The touch of an angel on that left foot, but the power and, and size of, of, of a heavyweight with his physicality. And the other thing about him for me was he wasn't just a great, great footballer. He was iconic, but he had a bit of rock star about him as well. And that drew you to him even more. That's what appealed as much as the footballer, the personality that was Maradona. For those who have never played the game, mm. are some players, and I mean some, I mean very few, perhaps Maradona being one, perhaps Pele, perhaps a Messi, are some players always going to be that level of genius? And some players have to work really, really hard. My impression is that Maradona was always going to be Maradona. Mm. He just had that from birth, that yeah. in insane level of genius. Am I right with that? You're, you're absolutely correct. To have that level of genius, there has to also be some madness, and that's what we saw with Maradona. He, that can't be taught. You know, when we, when we, look, at, we look at our own children, we look at young kids today, but that's, that's a football. Get the ball at your feet, whether you're on the street, whether you're coming home from school, whether you're in your back garden, as you talked about. That's the only way to become 
what he what he was, and and most people won't ever be lucky enough to do that because he was just so special. He loved the game. He was at his greatest, whether he had demons off the field or not. He was at his greatest and his happiest mm-hmm. with the ball at his feet when the lights came on. We're so lucky we live in an age with YouTube. So yeah. Um, yeah. no offense, but the likes of us can look back at, uh, at Maradona um, at his peak because we don't remember though yeah. the World Cup of '86. For children today, perhaps watching. Yeah. How much of an inspiration, I mean, we can't all be Maradona, but how much of an inspiration could he be for children watching the show today to look back on this footage? I think Tim hit a very good point. If you can watch Maradona, there's so many things that he can do that you can try and we won't be able to do. Look at the joy that the football brings to him. Look at the, the dedication. Think about, look about, understand the background that he came from, a, a very poor background, and had to work his way through to the point where, for me, Rebecca, and, and everybody can have the argument, he's the best footballer I've ever seen, without doubt. And he was the most beautiful footballer. He, he was so in touch. He was so in tune with, with his body and the ball. It was almost like the two went together. And to your point, one of the things he often said was that the joy that he brought to millions mm. was what made him so happy. Mm. And boy, did he bring joy to millions. He had, you have to say, an almost godlike status, especially in Argentina, revered as one of, or as Robbie says, maybe the greatest ever to grace the game. Yes, he had his personal struggles, but he was and will be forever remembered as a national hero a global icon and a football legend. Diego Maradona passed away this past Wednesday at the age of 60. Hi there, I'm Rebecca Lowe. Welcome along to the latest edition of the Premier League on NBC podcast, where you can get the latest can't-miss content from NBC's coverage of one of the best leagues in the world. Be sure to tune in on weekends at 7 a.m. Eastern for Premier League mornings on NBCSN and Peacock Premium. But for now, we hope you enjoy the latest edition of the Premier League on NBC podcast. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. (laughs) Well. Ooh, yeah. That happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. We'll get to more on this game in just a second. But in case you missed the big news out of the U.K. this week, you're looking at images from March 9th, the last time fans were allowed into a Premier League stadium. Well, after nearly nine months of empty stands, we will see some fans return next week. Prime Minister Boris Johnson announced on Monday that fans can return in a tiered approach beginning next Wednesday. Yesterday, regions of the country were placed into tiers depending on its risk of COVID-19 infection, which tells us which Premier League clubs can have fans and how many. So here are the details. There, The following 10 clubs will have to wait, most notably the two in Manchester. They're located in Tier 3 areas. These are areas deemed to have the highest risk of COVID-19 infection, so no fans will be allowed in these stadiums yet. Other half, they fall into Tier 2 areas where a maximum of 2,000 fans will be allowed into matches starting next week. They include the clubs in London and Liverpool as well. Arsenal did confirm they will be the first Premier League club to bring fans back next Thursday. That is for their Europa League match. So a lot to discuss with this, but let's just start with the fairness aspect Mm. of it. Mm. Because you have half the clubs, still no fans allowed at their home games, and half the clubs... 
2,000, not many, but it is something. Is that fair? Fairness in a pandemic, nothing's going to be perfect. And and I get that there's an imbalance. But if you can get 2,000 fans in the stadium, it's a baby step forward from where we were nine months ago in March, the last time fans were were in the stadium. And it was interesting, Pep Guardiola, the Manchester City manager, said, yeah, he he understands that they're in Tier 3 and they're not going to be able to, but but it's okay and, and it is moving football forward. I just feel that if you're a Premier League manager and the only thing you've got to moan about is that 2,000 fans are going to put your highly paid, highly technical footballers off. You've got more problems than I think. It, it could change, too. This is going to be reevaluated every mm. couple of weeks now. Yeah. Um, and no teams currently fall into the tier that would allow 4,000 fans. But yeah. again, that could change. So you have the fairness talk. Mm. And then you have the talk of should it happen at all? You know, with the virus spreading mm. in, in countries, including the U.K., yeah. should this be happening? I think we're right. With, with 2,000 people, we're talking a very, very small number in stadiums that have 60 or 70,000 capacities. So... I like that there's 2,000. I like that the Premier League have got protocols in place. They've been working with the Premier League clubs. I believe that it'll be safe. It almost gives us an exercise that we can get some experience from, we can have some learning from, we can get some data from. So hopefully when some of those, those clubs are in Tier 3 now who haven't got fans, we move this forward. We might be talking 5,000, 10,000, back to something like the normality that we've seen. So I think it's important that we do have these 2,000, that they're safe, that we learn something from it, and then hopefully we can get stadiums back full again, which is what we all want in the game. First goal of the season for Joe Ellington, seven on the season for Callum Wilson. It's almost like both teams woke up in the last 10 minutes. (laughs) We can move into the top half Mm. with a win. It's Newcastle that gets those two goals. How impressed were you with how they played those final 10 minutes? Well, credit to Steve Bruce because he takes a lot of criticism sometimes in the way he plays and the way he set his team up. He went with two strikers today, Joe Ellington and and Callum Wilson. And you'd have to say the combination play worked at time today. Joe Ellington's not the sharpest striker at the moment, but that'll do his confidence a load of good to, to get that goal and in Callum Wilson you've got a centre yeah, I thought the one player on the pitch if you give him the right opportunity he will take it we saw RU at the other end we saw Ben Tecchi at the other end saw Joe Ellington missing chances Callum Wilson seven Premier League goals now for the season and I before this game was looking at my notes and thinking if Callum Wilson played for Crystal Palace they'd be a top 10 team that's how important he is that's how many goals he can score yeah, it's it, how would they have fared without him? They had to play without him against Chelsea, and mm. it didn't go well. They didn't score a goal in that one. And now the question for Crystal Palace is how well can they play without Wilfred Zaha? And two games in, it's not looking well, so good. Well, that's 15 defeats now in the last 17 games they played without Wilfred Zaha. So we're starting to get the point where this is a one-man team, and if Wilf isn't there, this team can't turn up. Or you struggle to, to, to really make an impression. Ben Teke comes on, has a couple of chances. Batshuayi looks low in confidence considering he's come from Chelsea. And Wilfred Zaha is that spark of creativity, that spark of something different that gives Roy Hodgson's team. And last time out, I think it was against Wolves, I said with Crystal Palace, they lack a little bit of motivation. They lack about something. I find some of these players are, are what I'd call comfortable that we'll be in the league and, and you know, we'll, we won't go down, so we'll be OK. This team's got to drive more than that, and it maybe the manager at times has got to get amongst them because this quality of this squad should be looking for a top-half finish. Let's take you back to the gantry at Goodison Park and get some final thoughts, shall we, from our commentary team today, Graham Lasso and Arlo Whitechaps. 
Well, it probably says a lot about my life at the moment, but I've been obsessing for the last 72 hours about Leeds United's shot conversion rate, <laughs> particularly after the nil-nil draw against Arsenal last week. Look, it is an issue for them. There's mm. no question. But they are creating chances, and Rafinha, in the end, scored a very good goal. How do you sum them up as a football team? Well, they are. They're all, all eyes on going forwards and attacking, getting bodies forwards, not worrying too much about what's behind them. A couple of times they're outnumbered defensively. Often Calvin Phillips was in his own, on his own, I should say, in midfield, trying to mark two or three runners. But you're not going to change them, and and it does rely on them scoring goals to to give themselves that buffer. I mean, it came late, and they were rewarded for their, I suppose, continuous effort and energy in trying to open up the Everton defence. So uh, it's wonderful to watch. It's very mm. exciting, but I think it's going to be one of those seasons for them where you know the wins are big and the losses are going to be quite um quite obvious as well four defeats in five now for Everton after a terrific start where's it going wrong it's hard to say because I think I think they started the season so well Everton they were they had such balance and rhythm in the way they played I think Rodriguez isn't playing quite so well he's not quite as influential um and they're not getting the best out of Calvert-Lewin at the moment they're not creating Mm. enough opportunities for him to really dictate and do what he's good at which is which is obviously the finishing side of the game so a little bit more creativity from from Everton and just trying to get that balance in the team again great game Rebecca should be another one tomorrow we're off to Stamford Bridge for Chelsea Tottenham we'll talk to you then lovely stuff safe journey Graham and Arlo so the lack of creativity that Graham's talking Mm. about there from the Everton team what causes that Tim because for the first four games or so they were lightning mm. and then suddenly the drop off what can be the reason yeah four defeats in the last five games doesn't make for good reading mm. when when calvert lewin and Richardson and james are together oftentimes the goals have been have, have come a plenty but they've dried up they haven't been as ruthless in front of goal and it might it might be a sign of they were so good at creating chances and so good at scoring goals they just kind of thought this is going to happen every week. And we know in the Premier League that doesn't happen every weekend. Mm. So when you are on top of the game and you have those moments, you have to punish other teams. And today it wasn't, didn't happen. Sometimes, Rebecca, the rigour of the Premier League takes its toll on you. You know, you start a season, it's fresh, everything's buzzing, I'm feeling great. And then eight games, nine games, ten games, starts to feel a little bit different. And I just get the sense that not as great control in midfield, lost a little bit of that sharpness up front, but Angelotti will look to get that back and and get them back on the road. When you look at the record for Leeds, it's 1-4, lost 4, drawn 2, and it feels like that'll be the pattern. They won't draw many games. They'll either, as Mm. Graham was saying, really win or really lose. Incredibly happy with it. Up to 11th in the table. This is Leeds. This This is why we're so excited about them. They don't care about... Conceding goals, they haven't mm. been great in the back in terms of locking on and, and, and stopping the counterattack, but they are brilliant to watch going forward. It's refreshing to see a newly promoted team come and impose themselves on, on, on whatever game, whatever the opposition. They're going to create so many chances. If they start converting more chances, somebody's going to get a real good hiding. Yeah. Jürgen, that's a, a painful setback. We're talking about VAR again. Was it just? Was it right? Was it correct? Yeah, I think the situation's well. Um, the two offside I asked, I didn't see the feedback, but our analyst said, yeah, was really close with um, Mo, I think, was the foot. Um, but we are used to armpits and, and, and club badges, so if it's a toe, then it's obviously offside. And, and the other one with Salio was clear, I heard. So, yeah, penalty. Yeah, it's how it is. I think that the decisions were right, yes. I think the decisions were right. Well, Jordan Henderson says some of the Brighton players agreed that it wasn't a penalty. Yeah, but the ref, but look, you try to create again on my cost. You do. 
a headline because yeah, that's how it is. But I say now it was not, but us, the ref whistled it. Don't look like this. You try always, all the time. So, but uh, today I say it was a penalty, and you are not happy with that answer. So, what do you want to hear? Then give your answers yourself. I was just telling you what your players said and Brian. Yeah, the players were closer. I saw it. I, I said it was a penalty because the ref whistled it. So after watching it, James Bonner, hamstring is it? Yeah, congratulations. Not me personally. Oh no. Oh. Ah, but oh, you better work for them. Yeah, hamstring. Surprise. And they had harm. They had injuries as well because of tough time. But ask Chris Wilder how we can avoid that. Hmm. Well, maybe you're firing at the wrong target. Maybe, maybe, Sorry? Maybe you're firing at the wrong target because the, we are broadcasters. We work within the Premier League rules and the Premier League makes the rules. So that's the Premier League clubs. So shouldn't you be talking to the Premier League clubs? Shouldn't you be talking to I don't the know how often I have to say it. You picked the 12.30 kicker. You. Not Pick. you personally, but you did it. Did you? No, us on 12.30. So between now and December and the new year, there's one one more Wednesday and then yeah, Saturday. Yeah, but when you say you picked the 12.30, the Premier League chose that slot. There's a reason that slot is there. It's I told it's you, I said it now a couple of times. These are difficult, mo- these are difficult these times. These are the difficult times. The stadium's empty, of course it's yeah. difficult times. And the broadcasters are supporting and we have the to, game. And we, we have to... Tr- yeah. But if you if you play at three o'clock or, or five thirty, it's exactly yeah, the same. But it's but that Saturday. Has different ramifications. You should be going to the your chief executive should be with the other chief executives having that discussion. We can't if you come down here and just to have a go at the broadcaster, it doesn't it doesn't go anywhere. It's not going to change. Have a go at the broadcast. I just say how it is. You said twelve, it's criminal. 12, 12, 12, so yeah, it's twelve criminal after Wednesday. After Wednesday, you, after Wednesday, Saturday twelve thirty is really really dangerous for the players. But you don't do that often. You also said the broadcasters don't care, and that's the problem. It isn't the problem. The problem is how is it? Why why did you pick us then against against Crystal Palace? If if you care. Well, I didn't pick it, but all every pick is agreed by the Premier League. Can I tell you Every one more time? Because it's so, so spe- such a special seat, you always rely on things we agreed in another time. No, no, no. Yes, we did. No, no, no. Listen, if it was all about player welfare, why did the Premier League clubs block the five because, substitutes? Because, oh, because that's very interesting. Now, when when we had the, when we had the, the, the talk between the, the um, managers, it's a week ago, I think. It was 15-5, if not 16-4, for, for five subs. Now, since then, nothing happened. So, because you need at least probably yeah. 14 votes. Yeah. But Chris Wilder, whoever says constantly that I'm selfish, so. I think all the things he said show that he's selfish, but it's now not too important. And I was in a similar situation as he was when I worked at Mainz, and it was only all about staying in the league. But they have now three subs and one point, if I'm right. So that, that there's no advantage or disadvantage. Mm. So if you can do five subs in a game like this, it's not for tactical reasons. It's to bring, for example, today five subs, I take off Robo 100% and bring Costas Timakita to save Robo, not to make our game better or whatever, just to save him. And that's the situation. So it's not about um, bring here, oh, oh, we, we change tactics and the system and stuff like this, and we bring five players in one time and all this kind of thing. It's not like this. It's just to save the players. Yes, of course, I save my players, but it's about all, it's not only my players have that problem. Until when, when uh, this year is over, in that part of the season, we had this slot three times. I spoke a lot about it, but we had three. Look who else had it three times. Nobody. So, of course, it's a problem for me. It's a problem for me to, 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 to pick a team. That's my problem. And the problem is that you can't change it. You have to change it via the boardroom that we're talking about. But we could probably go on forever. And... 
Thanks, Jürgen. What interesting television. I just want to make it clear, just for anyone who doesn't understand, I guess it's quite complicated yeah. how the picks are done. So there's lots of time slots, as you know, in the UK. And it is the Premier League, made up of the 20 Premier League clubs and their board members, mm. who agreed to the time slots. Now, the 12.30 UK time slot, which is the Liverpool game this morning against Brighton, that is a time slot that works really well in other parts of the world yeah. because the time in their part of the world is not 7.30 Eastern like it is here. And the Premier League have agreed, yeah. the Premier League being the 20 clubs, have agreed to those time slots. But do you think, Robbie, he has a point? And what he's saying is, mm. that's fine, that's hard enough in the best of times. Yeah. But this season, with COVID and the situations mm. and the pressures on the players, this season they should change that? I hear his argument. And you could look at the Champions League and say that the Champions League teams don't play in that 12-30 window. Maybe it's the 3 o'clock or maybe it's a Sunday. I get that, and he, he, he does have an argument. What I would say is, I, I'm really uncomfortable with him having to go at the broadcasters. By the way, this is a football club. If, if you want to change that schedule now, we'll give you 50% less money at the end of the season. Are you OK with that? Are you OK not spending £58 million on Diogo Jota that helps your team get better? Because that's what we're talking about, the money that comes in the game that Liverpool have. Now, he's standing up for his football club. He's standing up for his player and players and the welfare of others. And I get that too. But there's a point where he's become rattled, Rebecca. And there's a point where, I'm a, if I'm a Liverpool fan... I just wonder if he's starting to lose a little bit of his focus. The focus is on them winning the, winning the title back again. And, and I know they, they're disappointed with the draw today and probably feel it's a win. But Jurgen Klopp is such a great human being, he's letting himself down a little bit. And the Chris Wilder references were, were beneath him, to be honest. Well, uh, whether or not the other 16 clubs in the Premier League would want the Champions League teams to get the 12.30 yeah. slot off is a whole other debate. I'm mm. not sure why they would want that mm. from the Champions mm. League teams. Why should they get an advantage? The Chris Wilder references on two occasions were interesting. Do you feel he's rattled? <sighs> he seems a bit rattled, yes. Uh, I don't mind the Chris Wilder references because the way I see it, he's only fighting fire with fire. Wilder used his name and referenced Liverpool Football Club first, so he's just going back at him. It's a little he's bit bigger than that. Yeah, yeah, I agree and with he's you. At Liverpool. It's a, I agree with you. It's a little bit tit for tat. In terms of the Liverpool fans, I get pelters from them all the time. I just got a few on, <laughs> online. They believe that Jurgen Klopp is God, and so if he is coming out and protecting the club and saying it's unfair, every every Liverpool supporter that wears a red shirt is going to believe that. Is it unfair? No, look, I think, as you said, the time slots, the Premier League is the, is the most watched league in the world. It goes out over all the time zones. So it, it has to work for the entire world. I think the fairness is get the five subs back in so we can stop these muscle injuries so that managers can tactically prepare their teams. But then again, you're going to get the teams down near the bottom who aren't trying to help the bigger clubs. One of the great things of the Premier League, Rebecca, whether you're, you're Burnley at, at one end or, or Man City and Liverpool at, at the other is, it's, it's about fairness, it's about equality, it's about every one of those 20 teams having a voice and having a vote. This has to be voted in, and it was voted in, yes, it wasn't a, a, before COVID, but we are where we are now. You can't change things for just the big clubs. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, that isn't how it works. Yes, you're the big clubs, yes, you win things, but every other club in, in, in the Premier League has their rights as well. Sure. Those at the bottom trying to stay in there, and, and so... Yes, I think in, in normal circumstances, you'd love to move them out of that 12.30 window, but it's where we are now, and unfortunately, it's where we're going to have to stay. Well, he did reference the managers. They all got onto Zoom last week, and they had a little mini-vote. Not that it meant anything, because the votes have to come from the board members of the Premier League clubs, and it did vote in favour of the five subs. At the next shareholders' meeting, mm. that's possibly when there will be a re-vote on the substitution situation.
Chris, just one final thing I have to ask you. It might not be the best night, but I'm sure you're aware that Jürgen Klopp... Yeah, I'm not interested in that today. I don't, uh, not right at this particular moment, Dave. I, I, I can imagine you can understand uh, my, my, my view on that. So maybe that's for another time. Today he's, he's talking about today's result, and obviously we've, we've as, uh, as Jürgen... Uh, good observation, you know, we're still on that one point, so uh, as, he, as he pointed out, um, but it's not the time really to talk about that from my point of view. Does it hurt though a little bit, I have to ask you, to describe you as selfish? Is, is it only right that you should defend your club and your corner? Well, I think everybody has that right to do that, isn't there? and as I said, there's 20 votes in this, in, in, in this league and everybody looks after themselves right the way through. Nobody's looking after Sheffield United right away now, so we have to look after ourselves and like I said, um, I'm not really going into to the, to the nuts and bolts of of, uh, of what was said. I've got, as, as I've always have done, got a huge amount of respect for, for for Liverpool as a football club, as I've always said and, and consistently said, and huge amount of respect for Jurgen. So um, whether it's looking after the football club, whether it's selfish, whether it's another word that anybody. By the way, there's a few more managers uh, in there uh, as, as as well um, that have uh, that have looked after their own club and. And I will always look after Sheffield United. I appreciate you don't want to go in the nuts and bolts with Jurgen, but do you get a sense that the big clubs are, are wanting a bit Dave, too much that, their own way? That, that's, that's enough for me. That's enough for me. <laughs> Tell you what, these journalists are on one today. Um, how did you feel Chris Wilder responded there to those questions? It was okay. I just wish I wish they would put it to bed. Certainly from his angle, I know I know why Jurgen Klopp is putting the pressure on. He wants the five subs. He's at the top end of the table. That's what, that's what he feels he needs. With Chris Wilder, it, there's no sense in, in get, doing a back and forth. He said, she said, pick and blame, pointing names at, at your club. His football team is in a tailspin here. He needs to focus on that. Well, to be fair, he wanted to, but yeah. he, he did yeah, end yeah. up saying that he will... Yes, Klopp wants the five subs, mm. five subs for his reasons, but Sheffield United want the three subs for their reasons, and mm. they're both equal, are they not, Tim? Yeah, but I, but I think the bigger the bigger issue for him isn't the five subs. It's getting his football team back on side. Your thoughts? The Premier League's not about six big clubs, mm. by the way. Let, let's just get that right. The, you know, six teams don't don't make this league. The league is made from six down to bottom, and relegation becomes just as, as watchable as teams at the top. And by the way, when you're Sheffield United and we were Wimbledon and these Burnleys and these Bournemouth and teams, we have a right as well. We have a, a right like every other of the 19 clubs. And Chris Wilder's 100% right. Yes, Jurgen Klopp's got you saying he's looking after Liverpool, but all those teams coming up have to look after themselves as well and do the best they can. And things are voted. And if a vote goes through and it gets passed, whether it suits you or not, you have to adhere to it. And likewise, if it votes on. And, and Jurgen Klopp is a little bit kind of flexing his muscles mm. because they're Liverpool and they're title winners and they're in the money. But you know what? Be thankful that he's in the Premier because it's still the best league in the world. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. Like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro... 
Cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer takes plenty of criticism. But what a good mm. half-time substitution that was. Yes, to take some credit, he made two subs at half-time. One was forced with the goalkeeper Henderson on for De Gea. But Cavani on for Greenwood looks like a, a masterstroke now. And it just shows you, Rebecca, the value of a goal scorer. They cover a multitude of sins. It doesn't matter how badly they played first half, how many shots they had or how listless they were. A goal scorer put in the pitch, given the right opportunities, gets you out of jail. Was it just Cavani or were United generally better second half after no doubt a bit of a hairdryer at halftime? Well, there couldn't have been much worse coming out in the second half. I did like the substitution of Cavani. I also liked that he played him up top with um, Rashford. Two strikers sometimes just offsets the balance of a defense. Everyone's so used to playing against one striker and it seems very easy. But two strikers up against that back four, they didn't know how to handle it. But brilliant, brilliant substitution. And I like the fact that it came right on the stroke of halftime. Not, not, not waiting 10 minutes. Gave Cavani the full 45. It's funny, isn't it? Because you look at the game as a whole and it kind of sums up Oli. <laughs> First off, you're like, oh, Manchester United and you're pulling your hair out. And then it, they click into gear. Bruno starts affecting the game. Rashford and Cavani look threatening. And all of a sudden, Manchester United look like a team who can compete at the, the top level. From Southampton's point of view, Ralph Hasenhutl has to lift them now. What, what mm. can he say? What positives can they take out? Well, they played well. They played well for 45 minutes, and then they were up against it because, obviously, Man United came out and put the pressure. I was surprised that Southampton didn't stick to the game plan in terms of continuing to take the ball in little pockets, getting forward. I know Shane Long came on. They didn't utilize Shane Long into the channels really well. They could have done a better job in that. But, again, take nothing away from Southampton. They were good today, but they just had to pick themselves up Let's and go remember, again. remember, Southampton missed Danny Ings as well. Mm. It's like Manchester United missing Bruno Fernandes. You take, Cavani. <laughs> you take those players out of the team. You yeah. look very yeah. different. It was an even game. You were particularly good in the first half, but considering that you'd won the last four Premier League away games, are you disappointed not to come away with more than just a point? Well, I think also uh, Chelsea, we need to understand, is a good team and a difficult opponent to play. Uh, they're playing well with the ball. They're very dynamic. They're very technical. Uh, so to shut them down uh, and not let them score uh, here at home is, of course, uh, I think, yeah, something good. But... Uh, I think in some moments we could have been a bit more clinical uh, with the ball, uh, especially uh, maybe in the end there was a chance. Also, first half we had a couple of occasions where the last pass or a bit quicker execution uh, would maybe have given a goal or even bigger chance. But yeah, okay, uh, we're there, uh, we're competing, and uh, there's still many games to go. You mentioned that you're competing. You've got a really good record against the top six this season. You know, you've beaten both Manchester clubs and you've come here and taken a draw. Do you think that's a sign of just how much this team have progressed under Jose Mourinho? In the end, it's about consistency, but also about taking game for game. We need to understand that that we are a very good team and, and also have the, let's say, the, the belief. But still, also, we need to be humble. Uh, there's still many games to go, but I like how we are presenting ourselves, I like how we are competing, I like how we are a solid unit uh, and we're always good good for, for creating chances and we saw that again today and yeah, a clean sheet today is also again something positive to take from here and maybe with a little bit more clinical execution uh, with the ball yeah, I think we get, a, we get a win but again, credit to Chelsea good team, 
but uh, of course we, we wanted more than a point. And you mentioned belief, you are back top of the Premier League table on goal difference. Is there a growing belief that you can challenge for the title this season? It's a game by game, it's all that matters. Uh, we believe that we can compete against anyone, but still we're taking game by game. We're very focused, we're very ambitious, but still we're humble in our daily work and, and we take game by game. Graham chats before the game. I listed all the things that this game had. Yeah. Didn't have goals in the end, so obviously jinx that. Yeah. Both managers, I'm sure, will mm. take a point, but oh, slightly disappointing. <laughs> the classic presenter's curse there, Rebecca, I think, um, before the game. What I'm interested in, to get your analysis of, of Tammy Abraham, mm. because it was a game of few chances. And there were a couple of wonderful whipped crosses from Rhys James, and it appeared that Abraham had got there, but didn't manage to convert. Yeah, and, and I think reflecting on that and, and something for him to do as well when he's, um, they all look back through various things that they've done during the game, I get, just get this feeling with him. He arrives too early and, and many years of, of, of playing and, and delivering crosses as a fullback, we used to do lots of exercises, particularly at Blackburn with players like Alan Shearer and you know top um, finishers. And, and you'd have the coaches sometimes physically holding them back before mm. you cross the ball because every striker wants to get into the box early particularly young strikers they're eager hun hungry and they haven't quite learnt the spatial side of things but if you think of a ball coming in from the left with a left foot it's moving away from the goal naturally so being ahead of the ball is the worst thing you can do because then you can never correct mm. and a couple of times Tammy always sort of seems to be almost spinning back and getting his head slightly behind because he's ahead of too far ahead of the ball at least if you're if you're giving yourself space, there's always chance you can make up that ground and the ball's coming towards you. And that's the difference between somebody like him, someone like Giroud, who mm. has got a, a much more experience and an opportunity for, for Tammy to really, I think, uh, learn mm. that side of his game. And, and that would, might have been the difference today. Very interesting. Um, who's the happier of the two managers? Well, up to the final sort of chances, I think Mourinho would have been happier um, because his game plan was based on counter-attack and probably less... He was expecting to have less chances. Um, but, but right at the end, that opportunity for Lo where he's tried to dink the goalkeeper, mm. I think Mourinho was fuming at that point and yes. would have thought that was the opportunity to smash and grab the three points. Yeah. He couldn't do what he did against Manchester City, Giovanni Lo Celso, last week. Missed that late chance, Rebecca. But Tottenham, back to the top of the Premier League, and we'll talk to you again next weekend. Lovely stuff, chaps. Thank you very much at Stamford Bridge. What are you taking out of this one, Robbie? Um, I think Josie will be reasonably pleased. They've played Manchester City and Chelsea two games, kept two clean sheets, got four points. He's got his team now in a way, Rebecca, and that was difficult for, for Spurs to play 90 minutes in, in that style locking down, shutting down, making it difficult. There's an eagerness about the way they go about the work that will be refreshing to, to Marino. It's not something we've seen of Spurs teams in the past. They dug deep for a point today. It's a point that takes them top of the league, and that's what Jose knows about this group of players now. He said in the interview you did with him that we're growing up tactically. I thought that was a measure of that, where today... They weren't going to give anything away. Mm, maybe a sign of progress mm. under him. What did you like about both teams today, Tim? Well, I, I, liked, I liked Tottenham. And you look at Hoyberg's interview there. You can see why Jose Mourinho likes him. He, he almost sounds like Mourinho, the way he speaks and mm -hmm. talks about his team. Robbie Rowe and I talked um, in the second half about most teams would tire from not having the ball and having to chase it. I think they're inspired by the fact that they know they're doing what their manager likes and he's out there barking orders of encouragement, even though they haven't seen much of the ball and then they, then they hit on a break. Look, 
Chelsea in the end didn't lose the game. They could have. They could have. Um, they played right into into Tottenham's hands. They gave the ball away a little bit too much in the first half, but in the second half, number one, they controlled possession and they created some chances, albeit didn't get the goal. Do you think they've both got staying power all the way to May 23rd? I do. I think it's a different season. I don't think we're going to get any, any runaway leaders. I think Jose Mourinho's experience, understanding, the belief that's coming in the group will help. I think with Franks, we're seeing a maturity. I thought Graham made a great point about um, Tammy Abrahams. Just if, if, if he can just work on his timing, he's just a second too far ahead of the ball. That split-second difference makes it, will make a difference. If they can get goal scorer, Chelsea can be up there. Ahmed Farid, Robbie Earl here. And we welcome Tim Howard. It's like we flashed the bat signal when we saw this uh, potential upset here. And so you just saw the highlights mm-hmm. there. You saw it at the end of the match. What do you make of Leicester losing to Fulham? Incredible, really. Didn't see that coming. Uh, credit to Scotty Parker. I love the fact that he's a young manager. He's not too cool to celebrate. And as Robbie said, kick and head every ball. His management of getting these players to perform the way he wants them to look no further than Lookman. Misses the penalty, gets criticized for it heavily in a lot of circles against West Ham, comes back against Everton last week, an assist and a goal today. Really, really good management by Scotty Parker. I just Parker. want to pick up on a point Tim's making there with Scotty Parker, because I wrote, I wrote the same thing. You're a newly promoted team, you've got a, a young manager who hasn't had many games in, in, in the Premier League, and you've got no body of work to go back to, you've got nothing to refer to, you're not the assistant where somebody else is going to take hold of a football club, and you've got to keep the confidence, the energy, week in, week out, even when sometimes you're getting beaten. That's two wins now for Fulham, which puts Sheffield United in all kinds of problems on one point, mm. but Brighton above them are only on ten points now, all of and drags them back into, into the fight. That was a really, really impressive performance by Scott in his team. Worried at all from the Leicester perspective on this performance today, how they came out? In the We're beginning? seeing some of the inconsistencies we saw at the end of last season. They lost last week to Liverpool, and there's no disgrace in that. But today, they, they weren't really at the races, they weren't sharp. Last sort of 10 or 15 minutes, they have a go and play the pace we expected, but there's so many better players in that team that they should be doing better. Yeah, so one more game to go here in match week 10. Do want to update you on the latest COVID-19 testing numbers. Premier League just releasing those from this past week. 1,381 players and club staff were tested. Of those, there are 10 new positive tests. Those players and club staff will self-isolate now for a period of 10 days. And just going to share a bit of news that's out there right now regarding that game. Newcastle have reportedly been forced to close their training ground until Wednesday. May not be able to train together ahead of that game at Villa. The Telegraph in UK are reporting that the entire first team and staff have been ordered to isolate at home following a COVID-19 outbreak at the club. It's reported that four players and a staff member tested positive last week. It's understood that more have now returned positive tests when the latest round of results were received today so have to track that as we go as of right now that game is still on coverage starts 2:30 on friday on peacock premium you don't want to start every conversation with a var decision there but i mean that was so close do you think they got it right with that call if they tell me so it's too, it's too <laughs> close for any of us to see for anyone down there um you know, the technology is going to tell us. We trust that the technology is right. So yeah. it's offside. It's just yeah. unfortunate for Ollie Watkins, who, again, who had a tough, tough evening. Big time win for West mm-hmm. Ham at home, moving top five in the table right now. What do you take away from their perspective in this game? They are, they are flying high. I don't think they could have ever believed they'd be that high in the table. When, you, when you're stout and resolute defensively, yeah, you have to get some breaks, of course. But they're playing good football. They've won three games in a row. When you can do that in the Premier League, 
it literally catapults you up the table. Beyond that, they have a manager who's tough and demanding. Clearly, there's a resiliency in the group. When you can win those games, you go into every week training now thinking you're going to win. I mean, they'll be going into this week, Man United next weekend. We'll win that game, no problem. That's what they're going to be thinking because wins give you that air of invincibility. Aston Villa probably feeling like they should have at least earned a point, dominated for much of the first half, had chances with the penalty in the second half. They can't feel good about walking away here with nothing. They won't because they, have, they, they haven't been playing great as of late, but their football has been really good. Their tactics are spot on. They, they just haven't been, again, we talk about getting in breaks. The, they should have at least drawn this game, possibly won. Mm. So they're playing well enough to win. They just aren't doing it. So this protocol, Robbie Earl, how uncomfortable are you seeing David Luiz return to the field of the play? Let's have another look at David Luiz. What happened to him? What was tended to him? And then he was. I'm very uncomfortable with Rebecca. There's seemingly blood pouring out of his head. He goes to stand up and and can't do that. They have to treat him either on a knee or him sitting on the on the ground. And whether the doctors had this visual, verbal, or observational observational assessment. Sometimes players need saving from themselves. Mm. You know, if I'm asked, do I want to play on? I'll play on. And somebody's got to take control of that. Now, the the Premier League is such a great league in many respects. But Jurgen Klopp the other day was talking about welfare of players and about pulls and injuries and and muscle injuries. What we're seeing here is far worse than any pulled muscle. We're seeing players that, that could be in serious trouble. We talked about the dementia and the head injuries that are coming into football. The Premier League need to look at this and need to address and tighten up the protocol because it, it, it's far too loose at the moment. In other sports, there are concussion tests. I didn't see. Yeah. Did you any concussion tests going on there, Tim? No, it's said the Premier League is, is the greatest league in the world, bar none. They need to take, start taking concussions and head, head injuries way more seriously. If it's, if, if it's up to each individual team doctor, mm-hmm. they, they're going to be skewed one way or another by maybe the manager. Yeah. Maybe the best yeah. player on the Leaving field got injured. Yeah. Every match needs to have match officials, match mm-hmm. medical staff, independent doctors who mm-hmm. can assess each player independently mm-hmm. and make a decision. Because what we saw there with that clash of heads, David Luiz didn't look right. Now, we weren't there, didn't have the conversation. Yeah. But last week, Nick Pope got a head injury at the end of the Burnley game, stayed on, and then this week yeah. missed this week's game with a head injury. Clearly something's not right. It'd be interesting if Luis comes out second half mm-hmm. or they do anything at half-time, because for me, Rebecca, he shouldn't be playing the Agreed. second half. Well, I'm not sure whether what's worse, though, him coming out or not coming out, because <laughs> if he doesn't come out, then they prove they did it yeah, wrong they by keeping him on the field. Right, right. It's, a, it's a not mm. a good situation. Let's also round out the storyline that we brought to you at halftime. Um, I just want to let you know that Raul Jimenez is uh, conscious in hospital and responding to treatment. But the fact that David Luiz was removed at the break and substituted mm-hmm. off, does that tell you it was the wrong decision to keep him playing in the first half, Tim? Well, it bothers me. It bothered all of us. We spoke about it at halftime. And the fact that he, ca- he came off tells us the medical team got it completely wrong. They allowed him to play on for 45 minutes, and yet they haul him off at halftime because obviously there's an issue. Mm-hmm. Big problem for me. Yeah, I mean, it, it just shows that they didn't get it right in the first place. And, we, you know, we've said it again. We have to revisit this for the welfare of players because something serious is going to happen soon. Yeah. yeah, things have got to change. The concussion protocols have to change. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. 
So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.